This morning, um, I've, I've written a message, prepared a message that I've titled, Fueled by Grace. Fueled by Grace. And I'm going to read to you a big portion of scripture um, from James, so you're just going to bear with me as we dig into the word. Um, but I'm not going to apologize for um, sharing a lot of Bible because I believe that the Bible is filled with truth and it is our, um, our manual for living as Christians. So we're going to read from James chapter 4, um, the first 10 verses. So it says this, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, and so you scheme and you kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterous, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honour. And so this portion of scripture, it's written by James, which is Jesus' half-brother. And he uses in this passage some really powerful language to get across what it is that he's saying. He uses these, these powerful words to describe the spiritual battle that we're all in. And he describes the evil desires at war within us. This, this kind of internal friction between the flesh and the spirit. This, uh, this battle that goes on within us between the old self and the new self. And what we used to want before Jesus and what we now desire with him. And so he talks of jealousy. He talks of wrong motives And he compares our involvement with the things of this world to adultery. Now that is powerful language, isn't it? But I think what it does is it really gets across the the strength of what it is that he's talking about. That he's saying that when you allow yourself to be pulled into the things of the world, the things that go against God's plan for your life, it's like you're cheating on God. It's like you're cheating on him. But then look at this in verse 6 that we just read. I'll read it again. And he gives grace generously. He gives grace generously. And the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace 
to the humble. And so I've entitled this message, Fueled by Grace. And we're going to dig in just to those two verses that, that follow in this scripture. It says this, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So in these two verses here, what we see are three actions, three practical steps that we can put into our lives in order to look and live and love more like Jesus. He says, submit to God, resist the devil and draw near to God. Three practical steps that we can put into our lives. And so I'm just going to take each one of those one at a time this morning with the time we've got left. So the first is that, submit to God. And the definition of submission is the action or fact of accepting or yielding to a superior force or to the will or authority of another person. And this idea of submission it's often deemed as something that is mandatory or something that is an obligation to us. You know, we submit to the authorities of this land when we obey the speed limit. We submit to the authority of our teachers when we sit down in class quietly and get on with our work. We submit to the authority of our employers when we show up to work on time and apply ourselves. I think for many of us, whether you have a difficulty sitting under authority or not, we can all relate a little bit to finding submission a challenge. Now, I was uh, a little bit rebellious in school. Um, I definitely had an issue with submitting to authority as the number of detentions will evidence. But I want to make a confession to you this morning about my current life. And that is this, that in our car we've got cruise control. And I love cruise control. And I will use it all the time. So it allows you to kick in cruise control when you hit 25 miles an hour and above. So if I'm driving down a 30 mile an hour road, I'm using cruise control because I am that lazy when it comes to driving all the time. But my default setting on cruise control is not, don't judge me, the speed limit. So when I'm driving down Clifton Drive, I do not, for whatever reason, set my cruise control to 30. It goes to 32. What a rebel. I'm going to cut this bit from the recording so that the authorities can't get hold of it. So I set my cruise control to 32. Now, if I'm driving down the Queensway, that's a 40 mile an hour limit. I set my cruise control to 42. I don't know what it is about the two. <laughs> when I'm on the motorway, I set my cruise control. Can you guess what two? 72. I don't know what it is about that two, whether it's just me trying to stick it to the man or rebel against the authorities in this land. Don't judge me. Pray for me. It's not going to get me there any quicker, is it? But for whatever reason, I'm setting my cruise control to plus two. Don't judge me. But we find it hard, I think, sometimes to submit to whatever it is. But if we want to live our best life, 
If we want to live the life that God is calling us to as followers of him, we need to submit ourselves to God. We need to submit ourselves to him to allow ourselves to come under the authority of God, the sovereign God, creator God, the God who has all wisdom, who knows all things. We need to submit to God. And James wrote these words that we've read already this morning. God gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. And so in light of the grace, the generous grace that God gives to us, our response, I believe, to him is to submit. That because of the grace that he has poured out onto each and every one of us when we invite him into our lives, we should submit to his authority willingly. That we should not try to rebel even by plus two on our life cruise control. But we should submit 100% to the authority of God. That we should surrender our lives to him and let him take the lead. But because of the grace of God, this submission is not mandatory. It is not an obligation. It is not something that he forces any of us to do. He gives us the gift of free will. And so we have this choice to make, each and every one of us, whether we choose to submit our lives to him or not. So the first question this morning is, are you going to choose to submit to him? Are you going to choose to surrender your life to him? Not just little bits of it, not just the bits that you're comfortable handing over to him, but every single area of your life. Are we going to submit to the authority of God? And you know, that's a choice that each and every one of our baptism candidates declared this morning. That they said to us in, in this place, I am submitting to God. I am surrendering to him. I am handing over my life so that he can take the wheel and he can lead me where he wants to go. And it's a willing submission. We didn't get them in the side room and bend their arms behind the back and say, if you want to do this, you better live like this. This was their decision. They chose freely to acknowledge before us they were going to submit to God. Spurgeon said this, he said, if God were a tyrant, it might be courageous to resist. But since he is a father, it's ungrateful to rebel. It's ungrateful of this generous grace that he has for us to rebel against his will and his purpose and his plans. And so he's calling each and every one of us into a life of obedience with him. That he is blessing us with this gift of grace so that we can live out our lives for him. But we have this choice. He is not dictating to us how we should live. But he is a loving father that is longing for us to submit to him. We should submit to God because he created us. Because his rule is good for us. Submission, it's, it's necessary for salvation. That if we want to walk this life that he is calling us to, the best way to do that is to submit 
to him to come under the authority of God. And it is the only way to have peace with him. And there's relationship here. Because this submission, it's not forced on us. It's not mandatory. It's not something that he makes us do. But it's submission to a loving father who knows what's best for us. And you know, I think that looking back to my school days, where I rebelled against the teachers for whatever reason, I didn't realize that the truth is, they knew what was best for me. They knew that if I just closed my mouth for a moment and concentrated on what they were teaching, that that would benefit me in later life. That I would actually know my times tables and not still have to use a calculator at 39. That actually if I submitted to their authority, I would live a better life. And that's how it is with God. That his plans are perfect. That his ways are perfect. And if we would only submit willingly to him, we can live our best life. We can live the life that he promises for us, which is a life of abundance. And the truth is this, that with all biblical principles, whatever it is that we teach in this building, we always look to Jesus to make sure it lines up with the way that he lived his life. And so when you take this theme, this idea of submission, and you apply it to Jesus, we can, without a shadow of a doubt, see that he lived a life in willing submission to his Father. He modeled this for us. He chose to come down to this earth, to let go of all of his godliness, and become a man and walk amongst us. He chose to lay down his life for us. You know, we read in scriptures that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, if there is another way, let's do that. But not my will, your will be done. If this is what you need me to do, I will submit to you and lay down my life. That was what Jesus modeled for us. And if it's good enough for Jesus, then it's good enough for me. And through faith in Christ, we have the gift of his Holy Spirit living within us. And it's through his power that we have the grace to live out this life of submission to our Heavenly Father as Jesus did. And so what James is saying in this passage this morning, as he encourages us to submit to God is that there's a direct link between our willingness to submit to God and our ability to resist the devil. And so that brings us on to number two, resist. We need to resist the enemy. James writes, resist the devil and he will flee from you. In John 10.10 it says, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and live it to the full, this abundant life that God so wants for each and every one of his creation. God's design for us is abundant life. God's plan for us from the very beginning of time was that we would live an incredible life that we would love life, that we would live it to the full in him. But the enemy is real and he's got plans that are opposed to God. 
that he's got strategies and he's got schemes that he will put into place to try and pull you away from the perfect will of the Father. In Ephesians 6, Paul writes, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers and authorities of an unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. We are in a spiritual battle. Whether you acknowledge it or not, it is happening. And so we should probably acknowledge it so that we can be prepared to face what's going on. There is a war raging around us and there is a war raging within us. And that's what James began this passage with this morning, that there are evil desires at work within us. That there is this tension, this friction between what the the sinful man wants and what the godly man wants. And so there are things in this world that try to pull you away from the plans and the purposes of God. And they look appealing and they sound great, but they are not God's best for you. They are not what he has planned for you. And so we need to submit to God. And in doing that, we have the power to resist the enemy. And the Bible talks about a whole bunch of strategies that we can resist the enemy. But one of those is the armor of God. That we have this full defense system that we can clothe ourselves with to protect us against anything that comes against us. And as part of that, we've got a weapon that we can use to resist the lies and the temptations that the enemy throws at us. And that is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This book is a weapon. This book is a weapon that can defeat any lie, any temptation that the enemy throws your way. You know, after Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit came on him and then it led him into the wilderness where he fasted for 40 days. A full fast. Not a, I'm going to come off Facebook for 40 days. Not I'm going to give up sugar and maybe lose a bit of weight for 40 days. But a full fast. No food for 40 days. And in that time, the enemy came at him with a whole bunch of lies and a whole bunch of temptations. Now recently, I read a perspective on this this story of Jesus in the wilderness that changed my thinking looking at it. Because I always thought that the enemy came to Jesus after his 40 days of fasting when he was weak, when he was hungry, when he was tired because he'd gone without food for 40 days. But this book that I was reading by a guy called John Mark Comer, he said this, that idea is a gross misunderstanding of the reciprocal relationship between fasting and spiritual power. 40 days in, Jesus was at the height of his spiritual power and so was able to wisely discern the devil's lies and dismiss his temptations with skill. That's a really interesting perspective that actually he wasn't weak. He wasn't exhausted. He wasn't tired. He wasn't hungry. He was actually stronger than ever 
because he had dedicated those 40 days solidly to what? Submitting to his father. And so he spent 40 days in solid, committed, intentional submission to his father. And then out of that was able to resist the devil. And the enemy came at him with all kinds of lies. He attacks Jesus' identity. If, he says, if you are the son of God. He puts into question God's love for him and he says, jump off this cliff and just see if God catches you. And then he tempts Jesus with earthly wealth. If only he would submit and bow down and worship the enemy. But each time, having gone through 40 days of intentional submission to his father, every temptation and lie that the enemy comes at him with He uses words from scripture as a weapon to defeat the enemy. The sword of the spirit of truth defeated the devil in that moment. And that's exactly what the Freedom in Christ course is teaching us for those of us who are going through that series right now. What that course is saying is that the enemy comes at you with lies that says you're not good enough or you're too old, or you're too young, or you don't have enough experience, or whatever it might be. He's coming at you with all of these lies. But in this book, there is truth. In this book, there are words and promises from God to combat every single lie and temptation that the enemy will throw at you. That there are truths within this book that will say, you are enough. That old men will dream dreams and young men will have visions. And that he has equipped you and he has empowered you and he has instructed you to live an abundant life. If only we would use the sword of the spirit to combat those lies. And the amazing thing on top of this that's highlighted on our scripture this morning is that when we resist the enemy, he flees. He runs away. He gets out of there as fast as he possibly can because the truth of God's word, word sorry, shines a light in the darkness. Jesus said, I am the light of the world and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Darkness flees from light. The two things cannot coexist. When you flip on a light switch, darkness doesn't just kind of hover around and kind of sit there. It's gone. It flees. It is no more because light has entered in. And so here's the overlap. That when we submit to God, we have the light of life. His life that is alive and living within us, which gives us the grace to resist the enemy. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And finally, draw near to God. Draw near to God. You know, in the Old Testament, I find it interesting that when Moses comes across a burning bush, that is the presence of God, the bush speaks to him. God speaks to him and he says, don't come any closer. Don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for this is holy ground. 
But fast forward to the New Testament and Jesus is walking amongst us and he says, draw near to me. That's not to say that he is any less holy. That is not to say that coming into the presence of God is not any less of a holy place, but he is inviting us in. Draw near to me. He said, let the children come to me. There is no longer a barrier between us and God. That that curtain came down when Jesus died so that we can enter into his presence with boldness. And so he says, draw near to me. By his grace, we can have an intimate and trusting relationship with our heavenly father. And so how do we draw near to him? We draw near to him through worship, which we've been doing and singing some powerful and incredible words already this morning. We draw near to him through prayer. We draw near to him through spending time in his word. We draw near to him by enjoying communion in his presence. We draw near to him by surrendering and submitting to his perfect will and purpose for our lives. And we see through the life and the ministry of Jesus that as people enter into his presence, as they come around him, as they share meals with him, that they find forgiveness that they find healing, that they find love and they find purpose and they find grace. You know, when we experience God's presence, when we draw near to him, we get a taste, we get a feel, we get a realization of the reality of God more directly than ever before, more authentically, more intimately, more effectively when we draw near to him. Simply being in his presence, it builds faith. It brings wisdom. It gives us joy and peace and strength and encouragement. The psalmist writes, but for me, it is good to be near to God. I have made the Lord God my refuge. Paul, in his letter to the Hebrews, he has one simple, deep, high, holy, happy and seemingly impossible goal for us. And that goal is this to draw near to God. And he uses that phrase, phrase, draw near, seven times in this one letter. But I'm just going to give you three of them. Hebrews 4 says, Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 7, He is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Hebrews 11, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who draws near to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Paul's great passion, his key message in this letter was that we would draw near to God, that we would have relationship with him, that we wouldn't settle for a life of faith that was distant from God because that was not the design of how we should live but that we would be near to him that we would be present with him that we would grasp hold of the reality of the person of Jesus the power of the Holy Spirit and the love of our Heavenly Father if we draw near to him and so he gives grace generously is what it says 
He gives grace generously. We are fueled by grace in order to submit to God, to resist the devil, and to draw near to God. Why don't we pray? So Father God, we thank you once again for the the declarations that have been made in this place this morning by Janet and Katya and Ethan as they went through the waters of baptism, that we were able to celebrate and witness with them the incredible love, the incredible grace that you have shown them in their lives already. And God, I pray for each and every person in this room today that we would once again grasp hold of and be reminded of your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray.